I want to thank all of you for your prayers for Zach. Looks like Zach's going to be fine. He's coming home for Christmas. Um, uh, one of the things I was told uh, by a doctor was that he had a grade three concussion and that 50% of grade three concussions are fatal. And so we praise God we have a live son coming home for Christmas. And um, I just wanted to thank you for your prayers. The body of Christ means so much at times like that. Uh, the, the prayers, the love, the cards, the emails, all the stuff. Thank you on behalf of all of us, all Daltons everywhere. Thank you so much. It's always a fun act to follow. Good morning, church. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll be reading together verses 2 through 7. Um, Andrea will have it on the wall so you can follow along on the walls up front. In Isaiah 9, 2 to 7, we read, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and a government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us to feel you this morning and every day. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that we see you this morning and every day. Father God, we ask that we know you this morning and every day. For we are blessed, Holy Spirit, that you feel us. We are honored, Lord Jesus, that you, you see us, and we're humbled, Father God, that we're known and loved by you. In your name we pray, amen. So a couple weeks ago when I found out I was preaching on this Sunday of Advent where we focus on joy, I rejoiced. That was a little better than the first service. First service, I had like two people. That was like five. Good job. <laughs> but seriously, this is supposed to be one of the easiest ones, right? We all know joy. We have all felt joy. We have all experienced joy. And if we're in church on Sunday, especially in this Advent season near Christmas, especially even this morning, we've all sung joy to the world. And some of us probably even know it by heart. Actually, that was something interesting I found. One idea I had was to start off this morning just reading through that great hymn. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and heaven and nature sing. What a great song. In fact, you may or may not know, unless you're Randy Miller, that this is the most published Christmas hymn in all of North America. So yeah, if you're going to preach on joy during Advent especially, it makes sense to have a little joy to the world, right? Except there's one little problem I found. The problem is that when Isaac Watts penned and published Joy to the World in 1719, he didn't write it as a Christmas hymn. That's right. Joy to the World isn't about Christmas. It's not about Advent. It's not about celebrating Jesus' first coming. 
No, joy to the world is actually about Jesus' second coming, the triumphant return. It's true. You can Google it later. And even now, as you recall the lyrics to Joy to the World, as you look it up on your phone, it hits you. Yeah, this song makes much more sense focused on Jesus' second coming. So yeah, the most Christmas hymn of all the Christmas hymns isn't even about Christmas. Now, when I found this out, I really almost did call you Randy, because Randy knows the background of every hymn I know and will ever know. So I almost called him because I felt betrayed. I was like all these years in church singing Joy to the World at Christmas time, and the song ain't even about Christmas. Not cool, Isaac Watts, not cool. But yeah, so my next idea was to flesh out this forever tension we seem to have when we talk about joy in the church. Maybe it was just me or the churches I was in or the sermons I grew up hearing, but didn't it always seem like happiness and joy were both in some kind of epic fight against each other? Well, maybe it was just me or the churches I was in, the sermons I grew up hearing, but I was taught that happiness is temporary and joy is forever. I was taught that happiness is like the world. It comes and it'll soon be gone, but joy is godly. It lasts and will last always. Maybe my favorite one of all time was, why choose happiness when you can have the joy of the Lord? Can't even make this stuff up, man. That's what I grew up hearing. But even back then and to this day, I wondered, always wondered, why does happiness and joy have to be in contrast with each other? Why does happiness and joy have to be in conflict with each other? Why does happiness and joy have to be defined like that so I can be the right kind of Christian? Seems a bit too much, doesn't it? Because reality in life teaches us that happiness and joy may be different, but whenever you've got them, you need to hold on. And you need to hold on to them as long as you can. Hold on because the happiness you might feel meeting a newborn child might grow as that child grows into joy and new life and joy and growth as that boy or girl grows up into the man or woman God desires them to be. Reality and life also teach us that neither joy nor happiness are forever feelings or forever our reality. Happiness and joy don't have to be in conflict, and they might be so fleeting that the best we can do is just hold on to them. When you feel happiness, hold on. When you feel joy, hold on. Because you may be feeling happiness or joy right now, but all I might be able to muster up is sadness and sorrow. This time of year especially might have you excited about time with friends and family, but it might have me paralyzed because for me, it's a time of being alone. Alone with my depression, alone with my loneliness. Happiness and joy must be enjoyed because reality in life makes them fleeting and so hard to hold on to. Happiness and joy must also be counted as blessings, for they are a gift from the giver of all things. Amen? And happiness and joy must be held on to because in this life, the reality is this life is trying to steal your happiness. This life is trying to steal your joy. So if you got it, hold on. Amen? So the key for us when we think about joy, one key has to be that our joy in the Lord is not merely feelings on the present, for feelings come and go. Amen? So then I thought, you know, if I can't use joy to the world and we can't just focus on feelings, maybe I'll share a few stories about joy. I thought maybe I could tell about our wedding day. What a great day that was. But as I thought about it, that day still seems very much like a blur, except when my mom started handing out trophies for people she was grateful for. For those of you who were there, you know, it really did happen. And we really do have video evidence of this happening. 
So then I thought about the birth of our girls. With Harper, though, I remember not knowing what was happening. Because I don't know if you remember, but I wasn't allowed in the operating room. You know, I've always thought about that day in the waiting room was some of the best praying I've ever done in my life. In fact, I'm excited for the rest of my life to see how God answers them because I don't even know what I promised him. <laughs> I'm also grateful for that day and that, that day because my pacing back and forth probably should have got me committed because I was talking to God out loud, but it didn't. So praise God for that. You know, I definitely must have looked a bit out of my mind. I probably was. But yeah, with Harper, it, was, uh, it wasn't just about a moment of joy, but it was this overwhelming story, and it still is, of, of really just fully surrendering to God, fully just trusting God that everything was already all right, that everything was going to be all right, that everything is all right. You know, with Harper, I think I learned and felt more relief than, say, joy, but it's all good, though, because she's been a joy ever since. And with Kennedy, well, that one, she's always had this ability to make you feel like the most important person in the world. To call her laid back would be an understatement. But one smile, one smile is enough to get you to melt. Just ask Pastor Woody. It's taken him almost three years to get Harper to smile at him. I'm still not sure it's happened yet. <laughs> but Kennedy, Kennedy makes that guy feel like a million bucks every smile that he gets every week or so. We call that progress. But no, I think the greatest story of joy I have in my life so far happened in the winter of 2000. You know, this story is great because it happened in winter. And winter and I, well, we don't care much for each other. Nevertheless, this story happened in winter, and I actually count it as a great memory and count it as one of my life's greatest joy, even though it was in winter. In the winter of 2000, I had gone almost eight years without seeing my mother. In that time, my father was killed during the Liberian Civil War. My mom had fled rebels and refugee camps to finally settle in Abidjan in the Ivory Coast. We had remade consistent telephone contact, but again, we had not seen each other for eight years. Over those eight years, I had gone from a refugee and an immigrant all over West Africa to a refugee and an immigrant, and now a citizen in these United States. I was a Southwest Philly boy, excited to graduate from dear old Central High. My assimilation was fairly complete as I had learned to navigate between not just being Liberian, but American Liberian, and the privilege that afforded me in my country and in my culture. And I also had the privilege of not just being black, but being black in America, a privilege I wasn't too happy to receive from America every now and then. But both of these worlds offered lessons I wasn't always too happy or joyful to receive, but lessons that very much make me who I am today. And I had done this assimilation with a loving and supporting family here, but again, it had been eight years without seeing my mother. Over those eight years after settling in Abidjan, my mom later remarried. And as was her custom, when I was with her briefly in Abidjan, she made it a routine to weekly and sometimes daily visit the American embassy to go ask for a visa. Well, after eight years apart, the embassy decided to finally give her a visa to travel um, with my newborn younger brother. A visa to her and the baby, but not her husband. I guess they figured they'll shut her up by just giving her a visa after eight years. So we knew she was coming. We just didn't know when. So in the winter of 2000, I was in the midst of wrestling season. My school was actually on the complete opposite side of Philadelphia from where we lived. So with practices and matches, I would get home and, and pretty much be done for the night. Towards the end of the season especially, I was pretty lethargic and, and almost always just ready to crash by the time I hit the doors. Calling me a zombie would probably be an insult to zombies. 
So on this day, as I opened the door, I had what was a very weird, almost out-of-body experience. I walked in the door, and there was a baby asleep on the couch. Now, we always had tons of family and friends around, so seeing a baby in the house wasn't that out of the ordinary. Now, the difference with this baby is that he looked very much like how I looked in my baby pictures. No, no, I thought to myself, you're just tired. You need to get some sleep. I remember shaking my head like, wake up, wake up. And then I headed towards the kitchen. As I left the living room, I heard a loud and distinctive voice. For those of you who know my mother, you know that loud and distinctive voice. And I was like, that sounds just like my mom. At this point, I knew I was just dreaming or just out of it because, no, this couldn't be. So I shake my head again, trying to shake off the cobwebs and, and this false reality that seems to be permeating all around me. Then I reached the kitchen, and there was my mom, flesh and blood. She screamed, I screamed. She cried, I screamed some more. There was my mother in flesh and blood, reunion, eight years in the making. You know, recounting this story, I honestly think this moment was so incredible that my mom's been chasing this moment ever since. No joke, but ever since then, my mom has not stopped surprisingly showing up in my house. Y'all think that's funny. That's my reality. Like, you have to understand, I talk to my mom daily, daily, and she's still chasing the surprise. For example, she'll call me and be like, hey, what are you doing? I was like, well, from 10 seconds ago, I am on my way to Chipotle because Harper likes Chipotle. And then my mom will go, oh, that's great. I'm at your door. This has happened not once, but multiple times. In fact, too many times to remember. Like, to be honest, I can't even tell you how many times this has happened. Actually, I thought about this some more. I don't even know if my mom has ever shown up, even now when she's all the way in Minnesota. I'm not sure she's ever shown up where we even knew she was coming. But I digress. Another key for us when we think about joy, another key has to be that joy, yes, is not merely our feelings in the present, for feelings come and go. Our joy in the Lord cannot be merely about moments either, as great as they may be. Our joy in the Lord cannot be founded in moments, for even they come and go. Amen? But no, the story of that reunion almost 17 years ago, that story reminds me of joy. But more than the personal joy lived and experienced in the story, it reminds me of the joy that Christ brings and keeps bringing. The story reminds me to rejoice, for Christ has come and he keeps coming. And the story forces me, and I hope you this morning, to examine joy. Because joy as Christians, this and every season, our joy is founded on Jesus. Amen? And the first part of understanding this is we need to realize that our joy is founded on right perspective. That our joy is founded not only on you or me or any other individual, no. No, our joy is founded on you, it's founded on me, and it's founded on the entire body of Christ. That same body which Christ himself remains forever the head. Our joy is founded on God removing the yokes that burden us and then gifting us with all the spoils of the war that he's won, that he keeps winning, and that in the end we will win with him. Amen? Our joy is found on the child that was born, the son that was given. Our joy is found on the wonderful counselor that this morning some of us know as Lord and Savior. Our joy is found on the mighty God that this morning we know has humbled himself to take on skin, to walk this earth, to live in love, and to teach us how to live in love. Our joy is found on the everlasting Father, the one who rejoices in bringing all his children back home again. And our joy is founded on the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, whose scripture reminds us he himself has become our peace. Amen? 
And this is why I love Isaiah's passage. Here in Isaiah chapter 9, we are introduced to a joy that is afforded to all the believers, to all the followers of God. Isaiah writes to remind his listeners, and I'm here to remind us as a body here this morning, that the joy we have in Christ is not a feeling. It's not an existential reality we can never really know or even try to describe without feeling. No, no, our joy is Christ. Our joy is Christ, the one who has come and the one who is coming. Our joy is founded on this right perspective, knowing what God has done and who God is. Our joy is founded knowing what God has done in me, but also what God has done in you, but also what God has done in the world. For God so loved the world. Our joy is founded in Christ. Amen? Our joy is founded in knowing freedom, freedom from sin that so easily ensnares us, freedom, freedom from sin that so easily enslaves us, freedom. Our joy is found in knowing that in Christ, we are a new creation. And in Christ, when the Father looks at us, he sees his son. He sees his children coming back home again. He sees where his Holy Spirit now lives, now abides, now dwells. Our joy is Christ. Amen. Sisters and brothers, our, brother, our, our joy is Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Sisters and brothers, our joy is Jesus, our Christ who has come and our Christ who is coming. Sisters and brothers, our joy is Jesus, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace. Amen? So Isaiah's first goal here before showing why as people of God our joy is Christ was to remind us that we must have a right perspective. Now we start a reading in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. However, the section really begins at the end of Isaiah chapter 8, starting at verse 19. There Isaiah begins by challenging all who would hear. He challenges by basically asking this simple question. When you need answers about this life, and you happen to be a follower of God, why are you looking everywhere else except to God, your God? To his people, Isaiah called them out for consulting mediums and spirits. And I love this. Isaiah says, why are you consulting those who whisper and mutter, especially when you can hear from God himself who speaks clearly? Why are you consulting with the dead when you have access to the living God himself? Now, for some of us, this might be a little foreign, or maybe not, maybe not at all, because we still live in a culture where people consult mediums and spirits. We still live in a culture where people look to astrology or their horoscope or palm readings or tarot cards or whatever else spirituality they can find out there. And for some of us, I know, I hope, not for, mo I hope for all of us that's not the case, but for some of us, if we're honest, we look to these things first. However, what we all need to hear, what we all need to hear Isaiah on this morning is this. When you are out there looking for answers, why is God, your God, the living God, why is God the last one you seem to want answers from? Why are we so quick to seek any and everywhere else for answers instead of going to the one who speaks ever so clearly? As God's people, we have access to the Spirit of God. The spirit that now abides in us. We have access to the body of Christ. Sisters and brothers in the faith who can challenge and also spur on our faith. 
We have access to the Word of God, holy scriptures that have been living and active and working and moving in the life of God's people for thousands of years. And yes, we have access to the Son. Jesus Christ is now our Lord and Savior. Amen? For God's people back then, sisters and brothers, for us today, right perspective comes from consulting God for instruction. So when we need answers, right perspective says, I will go to God. When we need answers, right perspective says, I will surrender to his spirit. When we need answers, right perspective says, I will surrender to his body, the church. When we need perspective, right perspective says, I will submit to God's word. When we need perspective, right perspective says, I will surrender to his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our joy is Christ, the one who has come and is coming. Our joy is founded on this right perspective, knowing what God has done and who God is. So when Isaiah sees people walking in darkness, he says, they, there's some of us who've seen this great light. And when he sees those living in the land of deep darkness, he reminds God's people that the light has already dawned. Right perspective says, in Christ, we no longer walk in darkness. Right Perspective says, in Christ, we are no longer defined by darkness. Right Perspective says, we have seen and known the light, and we call him Jesus. Right Perspective says, we now walk by the light. And Right Perspective says, what Jesus wants us to know now and forever, we are the light. Amen? Amen. Our joy is Christ. And in Christ, we are no longer enslaved to sin, which so easily ensnares us. In Christ, you are no longer defined by your past or your wrongs. No, in Christ, you are now defined by Jesus and his blood. You are now defined by his death and resurrection. You are now defined by his spirit and the Father's love. You are now defined by God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion. We are not greater than our wrongs. We're not greater than our past. But bless God, he's greater than our wrongs and our past. Amen? Our joy is Christ. So to have and to hold on to this right perspective, we must do the work of actually knowing Christ. That's our job. For the more we know Christ, the more we worship Christ. The more we live for Christ, the more we walk by the light that is Jesus. And the more we live our lives to shine for his glory through whatever the darkness, through whatever the darkness through whatever the darkness, if we're living to shine for God's glory, we're not defined by the darkness. We're not paralyzed by the darkness. We're not controlled by the darkness. We're not beaten by the darkness. In Christ, we conquer the darkness. Amen? In Christ, we defeat the darkness. Amen? In Christ, we look at the darkness and we say, we have the light. Amen? Our joy is Christ. And if Christ, if our joy is Christ and we have this right perspective, we have to hold on to who God is and what he's done. And with this right perspective comes remembrance now and forever that our joy is not founded on simply what God is doing in me. No, our joy is founded in what God is doing in us as the body of Christ with Jesus the head. So when Isaiah says, look, the Lord has enlarged his nation and increased their joy. Look, the people are rejoicing at the harvest and enjoying the spoils of war. It must be a reminder to us to look as well. We must look. Our joy is Christ. So in Christ, we must look and see how God is moving, not only in me, not only in this church, but in all of us, in all the world. Because Jesus came not for me, not for us, not for this church. Jesus came for the world. 
our joy is Christ. And we are the bodies of Christ. We are the body of Christ and members of one another. Our joy is Christ. So in Christ, we must rejoice at the harvest. Not only the harvest we see in our lives. Not only the victories we see in our lives. But the victory we see in the lives of every sister and brother. The victory we see in our life of every church. The victory we see in our life of every Christian the world over. To be the body of Christ means we must be more than ourselves. We must care and love the world as Jesus cared, died for, and lives for the world. Amen? Our joy is Christ. We must do the work of knowing who God is and what God has done. Our joy is Christ, so we must look and see, live and love, not only what God is doing in me, but what God is doing in all of us the world over. And when we have this right perspective of who God is and what he's done, when we recognize and live as though it's not simply about what God is doing in me, but what God is doing in us, then our joy in Christ will continue to be made complete because we will know, we will taste, we will see, we will experience freedom. For Isaiah and the people back then, it was recounting their victory over Midian. It was shattering the yoke and destroying the rod of the oppressors. It was enjoying the spoils of war while watching an enemy be entirely destroyed. Now many of us in this room, we know freedom in Christ in the eternal sense. We know that Christ came. We know that Christ lived and loved. We know that Christ died and was raised on the third day. We know that Jesus is alive. We know that the Spirit convicts us of sin. We know that Jesus' sacrifice was God's grace through faith by which we've been saved. We know that God the Father is the one who saves. We know. We know our joy is Christ because in faith we give our lives to him. We are eternally in his hands and we await his kingdom to come. Many of us know this. However, if there's one in this room this morning who does not, if there is one in here this morning who's not so sure, please, please take the time right now to let God's spirit wash over you. Take the time right now to let God's son be revealed to you. Take the time right now to ask the father to forgive you of your sins because the work has already been done. And scripture says not tomorrow, but today is the day of salvation. Scripture says not the future, but now is the day of salvation. Take the time to let the spirit convict. Take the time to let the son save you. Take the time to accept the father's forgiveness and love. Amen. Now, many of us knowingly say, I know about this eternal stuff, but I still fall short. What is this freedom you're talking about? Many of us in our hearts were saying, Lord, I do not have freedom. I have sin in my life that so easily ensnares me. I do not have freedom. I have sin in my life that I'm easily enslaved to. I do not have freedom. I have sin in my life that's stolen all my joy. I do not have freedom. I have sin that leaves much good left undone and many of my gifts left unused. I do not have freedom. I have sin in my life that paralyzes me in embarrassment. I do not have freedom. I have sin in my life which terrorizes me with fear of being discovered. I do not have freedom. I have sin that keeps me from growing. I have sin that makes this freedom you're talking about so impossible, so foreign, so far away. I do not have freedom. Well, sisters and brothers, we still have a God who wants to give you freedom. Amen? Christ is our joy. Ask him to break you free from that sin which so easily ensnares. Christ is our joy. Ask him to break you from the shackles of that sin which so easily enslaves you. Christ is our joy. There is no evil that can steal your joy away. Christ is our joy. Bring that joy into your world. 
Bring that joy into your world by doing the good that God has empowered you to do. Bring that joy into your world by using the gifts that God's given you to bless others. Christ is our joy. And if Christ is our joy, there is no shame, there is no past, there is no sin that can keep us away from God's love. Christ is our joy. And my scripture reminds all of us that God's perfect love casts out all our fears. Christ is our joy. And the scripture also reminds us that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Christ is our joy, and the Spirit sets us free, and the Son sets us free, and the Scripture tells us what? He who the Son has set free, she who the Son has set free, we are free indeed. Amen? Christ is our joy, and the Father sets us free. Perfect love casts out all our fears. Christ is our joy because we're forgiven. Amen? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, and thinking about Advent this Christmas season and of our Jesus, Jesus our Christ, one friend, one friend said to me this week, <coughs> one friend said to me this week, God saw our oppression and suffering. God entered into our oppression and suffering. God entered into our oppression and suffering. He entered into it to do something about it. And thinking about Advent this Christmas season, I had another friend say to me, you know, we need to celebrate Christmas and Jesus coming, but we need to celebrate and then ask God to keep Christmasing us. We think about joy this morning. Let us live with that reality that any oppression, any suffering, any sin, any darkness, any enslavement, any falling short, any not being right with God, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we feel, our God wants to give us freedom. Because God is willing to not let you suffer alone, but to enter into it. God is willing to not only hear your cries and hear your oppression, but to enter into it. God is willing to not just hear your oppression, not just hear your suffering, not just see your darkness, not just hear your cries, not just hear your prayers. He's willing to enter into it and do something about it. I'd like to ask the worship team to come up as we close with our last song. I'd like to also invite the intercessors up front. We'll pray for you for anything that you need. And as they, prepare, as they prepare to get ready to close, I also want you to be reminded of what my friend said to me this week. That Jesus has come, but he keeps coming. That we need to celebrate Christmas, but then ask God to always keep Christmasing us. You know, in the offering we send, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. And that's my prayer this morning. That not just Christmas season. That not just this day or this week, but at every single day of our lives, in all things we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. In joy we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. In sadness we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen? Amen. I wanted to close this, this afternoon with 
joy to the world, but I recently heard that's not even a Christmas song. <laughs> so I want to encourage you to think of the star of Bethlehem as that first bright light to shatter the darkness that came through the gift of our Lord and Savior. The first Noel the angel did say was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Noel, 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 Lord is the King of Israel. They Yeah, Pastor, you just reminded me, I 
Sarah just had a baby a few weeks ago, so I'd like to congratulate her. And the Baron and Kelly clan. And I'm surprised they brought the baby boy this morning, but she's up here playing. God's good. Good for you. Um, I just want to pray real quick as we send you guys off. Our Father and our God, we thank you for our, uh, the King of Israel who's already come. Lord Jesus, we pray now that you keep coming. Help us to have joy by having this right perspective. Help us to have joy by not looking about me, but looking at what you're doing in us and the world. Help us to have joy by seeking freedom that Christ brings, freedom in all things. Help us to have joy by holding on to our God who loves us, for our God who is entering into our suffering and our oppression and our darkness, but a God who sets us free from all that. And for a God who's willing to, in all things, be there for us. So, Lord Jesus, our prayer is that that first Noel let it remind us that we need Jesus to come and keep coming. To come and keep coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless.